You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. The lights are the official cue that we are, we are changing gears. Good morning. Good to see you guys. I'm Fred. I'm one of the pastors here in Illini Life, if I don't know you. I love that little introduction by Evelyn. Favorite childhood toy. I don't know mine. I do like grocery shopping. Uh, I'm in the middle of, I'm in like day nine of what I was hoping was a two-day cold. And uh, so it's, everything's just sort of going downhill. But that's all right. We're going to get through this together, right? We're just going to stretch it out a little bit, and we're going to be all right. We're on the home stretch of our four-week series called the Mago Day. Uh, it has been, uh, for me personally, I've really enjoyed it. It's been this exploration of this Christian doctrine that every single person was made in the image of God, it has incredible implications for our day and age, right? And, and what we've said, though, is that, you know, there's, there's this, this really amazing side to it, that we are made in God's image, but that has been painfully obscured. And so in weeks two and three, we talked about things like shame and guilt within us that kind of obscure that image of God. And then last week, we participated in Freedom Sunday, which was pretty amazing. I mean, it was a powerful time. It was part of a global campaign by the International Justice Mission, right? Churches all over the world uh, kind of shedding light on human trafficking and the fact that 45 million people in our day and age are still trafficked by people more powerful than them, right? Their existence is as human slaves. And we wanted to take a month. I mean, we're taking four weeks with this doctrine of humanity because what we believe is that, that, that these issues of, of human dignity, they're bubbling up all over the place, right, in our world, and that this is a time in our culture where we're Christians. We've we got to know what does God have to say? What does he speak into our world and the things that we see every day? And so I hope that it's something that Alani Life understands that we grow deep in, right? And so for this week, we're talking about restoring the image of God. I wanted to jump right in. Uh, something I learned at the fall retreat, okay, I thought is where I'd start. This is fall retreat's coming around uh, next weekend, and there's this lady that came. Her name was Dr. Tammy Smith, and she had some amazing, really simple illustrations. And so this is from Years and years ago, but I still remember it, right? She says, basically, well, this is you, right? This is kind of our, our inner world. This is how we work at the identity level, okay? And it's a fairly simple illustration. You're a bucket, right? But, but it's more than that. There's a lot of things in our life that kind of fill that bucket or maybe drain it a little bit. And it can be all kinds of stuff, kind of the usual suspects, right? Your, your family is a big one. Your friends, who you hang out with, what you study, right? How wealthy are you? These are all things that kind of contribute to our inner world, our inner life. And, you know, while this looks really complicated, there's a lot there. We could probably add a lot to that. We're actually pretty simple at the end of the day. It's not that complicated. Let me see some here. Anybody here do set up this morning? I just want to show you something. All right, Lawrence, right here. This will work. A bunch of you guys put your, put your hands up. Thank you. Hey, man, thank you, right? It's totally behind the scenes, and we appreciate you waking up. And it's not very glamorous, but you guys are in here, and, and you do all this for us. We couldn't, we can actually do this without you guys, right? And so I know it's, it's not a really a fun role sometimes, and, and, but you come, and, and you guys have been really faithful to it, and we appreciate it, right? I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or, or anything, but this is good, right? What did I just do? It's, what did I just do? Yeah. Put a little something in his bucket. That's all I'm doing, right? And we need that. That's not a bad thing. Right? We need this in our life. A little bit of affirmation goes a long way. A little bit of thankfulness, a little bit of gratitude 
Right? It fills us up, and it happens in all kinds of small ways. You do all right on a test better than you think you did. Right? Someone invites you out for, for coffee, that, that kind of thing. Right? You get a little raise at work. There's these little drops in the bucket that, that go so far, but I think at the end of the day, in order to have kind of a strong inner world, a strong sense of your identity, it takes a lot more than that, right? More than little drops. And so that's what we've been talking about. Imago Dei, you are made in the image of God, right? That's what's held out to us here. And what it means is that every single person has intrinsic value, has the image of God that's been like stamped into their life. By the creator of the universe, that's incredible. doesn't matter how attractive, how smart. Right? He says that, that it's more than just how you're created. It's, it's that you share something of God in his rule, in his reign. He's made us with purpose. Right? He's given us this incredible calling in this world to, to rule and reign like he would, to steward the creation and take it forward with the same kind of love, the same kind of care that God himself Right? This is kind of like as, as lofty as it gets when we think about ourselves. Right? The image that I have in my mind is kind of like that, that like God is pouring out. He has poured out his love, his power, his generosity, his goodness into our lives. He has stamped that into us, and it's meant to overflow out of the edges of our life. Right? It runs over the rim of who we are, and it's meant to give life to the world. That's who we're made to be. That's the Imago Dei in us. But our experience of life is, I mean, it's, it's not always like that, right? The cynic in you is kind of like, you know, like it's not, it's not that easy, right? And you're right. If you're cynical in this, you're, you're correct in this, in this instant, right? The, the, the bucket's not always full. And we know that, that it feels emptied in a lot of ways. And it's little things, right? You got here to the U of I and you failed your first test. Congratulations, right? Welcome to the club. And you get that little, like, whoa, what's this? I'm not as smart as I thought I was, right? This isn't as easy as it used to be. Right? Everyone has plans tonight, but me, apparently, again, right? Hello, Hulu. That's your life. Right? It's that, that little loneliness. Right? And, and it's more than just these little bad days that we have, these little moments where things don't feel that great. We have to acknowledge, like, if this is going to correspond to real life, Buckets aren't just a little bit empty, right? They've been, they've been gashed. Right? They got, we got holes in the bucket. We could take any one of those things we talked about earlier that kind of build us up, but let's just talk about junior high for a second, okay? It's a big one. for Maybe you escaped relatively unscathed, but maybe you were bullied. Maybe every single day going to this place that you had to go was one of fear, one of kind of anxiety that, that you're going to be mistreated, or family, right? Family, it's, it's for a lot of us, it's a really amazing source of strength and confidence in our life that builds us up, and we can draw on that, and that's wonderful. That's how it's supposed to be. But for a lot of people, it's really a source of pain. It's a huge source of pain in their life, right? If you're like me, then, then your parents were divorced when you were young, right? And you think about it, it's like, it's nothing that you did, Right? It's not something you did, and yet it is like taking a drill to the side of that bucket, right? And there's something that's missing, something that's leaking, and you're not quite sure exactly what. Right? Perhaps it was abuse, perhaps neglect. There's all kinds of awful things. Homes sometimes are a source of chaos, right? Or just constant pressure in our life. 
our body image, right? Just the way we look, the way we feel about how we look. That's a huge source of kind of wounding in a lot of people's life. We play this kind of constant, exhausting mental gymnastics. What do people think about me? How do they think I look? Do they like me? Right? And it's more than just these little holes. I think there's, there's a thousand ways that the image of God comes after, under assault kind of in this, in this fallen world that we live in. But we've been going a little further than that. We've been saying, like, what about marginalized minority communities in, in our country? What does it do to the image of God in someone when kind of the message, the clear message of their life experience is you are, you are less than because of the tone of your skin or where you live? Right? Or, or like the really maybe most heavy example we can give is just last week, right? The 45 million people in this world whose experience of life is as a human slave. Right? What does this do to our inner world? There's maybe a spectrum, and it's not about comparing each other's buckets. It's about starting to acknowledge that, okay, our buckets leak, right? They leak, they got holes, they've been gashed, and they will not hold water, Right? They will not hold what we need to satisfy. And so what do people with leaky buckets do? We kind of take this word picture a little bit further. We just we do what anyone would do. We try and patch them. Right? We try and patch the leaks. And in our day and age, that, 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 that's just a metaphor for all kinds of destructive behavior. Right? It's, it's addictions. It's, it's drugs. It's alcohol. It's porn. It's bad relationships that we get into, that people get into over and over. I mean, you think about it logically. Like, why does this person keep doing that same dumb thing? It's not, right? it's not that they're dumb. It's that they're in pain. Right? People in pain, they will seek out medicine. It's medicine. It's like a patch for a leaking bucket. That makes sense. And so the, the kind of image I have in my head of, of how we do this is that we each, we all come to each other with our little bucket, right? Our little leaking bucket. We're like, do you, have, do you have anything for me? Can you put a little something in there? Can you validate me? Right? And that's why relationships are so hard. It's because there's two people and you're really hoping like, yeah, this person, man, this feels pretty good. Maybe they can fill me up and they can't because of this, right? We leak. And so the main question for this morning, kind of the million dollar question is, okay, if that's true, if this is in any way accurate to our real life experience, then, then where do we go from here? Right? Where do we go from here? How do we restore the image of God in people in some small way that's meaningful? Can we find any healing? And my biggest fear this morning is that this is going to talk into, to turn into like a generic self-help talk, right? There's so many kind of self-help tips out there, 130,000 resources on Amazon. I looked it up this week. It was crazy, right? And so we can turn to all kinds of things, you know, like life hacks, TED Talks, why don't we eat some kale, do some mindfulness, right? And, and I will be the first to tell you, like, I, I am not an expert. I'm not a social worker. I'm not a psychologist, right? But these are things that, that God has taught me in this church in many ways to different ministries over the years, and they're really simple. I mean, compared to, like, the TED Talks that are out there, the life hacks, this is going to sound so ridiculously simple that you're going to be tempted to blow it off. Like, really, that's it? That's all you had to say? But I think that God speaks timelessly to us right here. Right? And I think that there's things I want you to personalize this morning as we think about it. And so I said, our, our, our outline is ridiculously simple. Here it is, okay? I wasn't, I wasn't kidding. 
Uh, our buckets leak. I think we covered that pretty thoroughly, right? Jesus' bucket, right? We're going to look at distinct moments in the life of Jesus, who I believe is the most truly human person to ever walk the face of this earth. And we're going to see there's some stuff there. There's some really interesting stuff there that's real pain. But his bucket didn't leak. And so what gives? What was different about him? Right? What can we learn by looking at the life of Jesus? I said that we're just going to jump right into it. So I'm going to jump into this moment that, that is in Mark chapter 3. And it's a really interesting moment because we're so tempted to think of Jesus as like Superman, just impervious to pain. He was just that different. But he had a real family. He had all kinds of real relationships that were disappointing. And uh, this one in Mark chapter 3, this is just at the beginning of his public ministry. This is when he's just starting out. He's preaching in the synagogues, and he starts to draw these crowds, right? It's kind of a spectacle. And they start pressing in to this house. And a lot of people are there. They're there because it's like, well, they're hopeful, right? Is this the Messiah? Is this the person we've been waiting for? But other people that are there are definitely of more of the mindset of like, who does this guy think he is? Right? Isn't this, don't we know this? Don't we know this guy? This is like Joseph's son, right? The carpenter from Nazareth. He's like the mechanic from Tuscola. You know, this is like the closest parallel I could think of, right? And so we're going to jump in. Mark 3. Then Jesus entered a house. And my mic went off, and it came back, and we're all good. The crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat, so they're just pressing into this house. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Do we realize what's happening there? We're talking about his mother, his brothers, the people that knew him best in his life. He starts out his ministry. They don't believe in him. They're like, this is embarrassing. Let's, we're going to go get our son. Uh, guys, I'm sorry, he's causing such a scene. We don't, we don't know who he thinks he is either. Right? It's crazy, right? How undercutting would that be if it was any of us? We think that, that Jesus didn't have to, to deal with anything in his inner world. But when you really look at what's there, you know, I brought a couple of other examples in my head. You look at his life, like in this same chapter, a few verses later, he gets accused of like being the devil, right? Possessed by, by demons. That's how he's doing all this crazy stuff. He gets mis- he's misunderstood all the time. His friends, these guys that re- recruits that follow him for a while, they all abandon him. Right? They believe when he's a teenager. So the, 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 the people he lives among, they're occupied by this empire that just, just, just oppresses them at every turn. Right? I mean, as a teenager, they believed that, that a village near his hometown, everyone there was, was, was killed right? by the Romans. And that was part of his, his upbringing. It's something he saw in his life, near the end of his life. What happens? He's opposed by everyone. He's scrutinized by all the religious teachers of his day. He's wrongfully accused and wrongfully sentenced. He's beaten He's mocked. Even in his death, he's mocked. Oh, you're the king of the Jews, right? And he's crucified. And yet these things, they don't derail him, right? He continues to press into God's calling on his life, the mission that's before him, right? He doesn't turn to the patches. He doesn't turn to sin. And so what is it about Jesus? What was so different about him that, that, that we can... Learn from. In order to answer that, I want to take you to two more moments. Okay? Two 
two more moments in the life of Jesus that I think are really interesting. And what we're going to see in these two kind of profound moments is that Jesus' identity, his sense of himself, is given to him. It's spoken into his life in some very powerful ways. And that's a very important idea for us this morning, that our identity is given, right? We try and earn our identity all over the place. But Jesus, his identity it's given to him. Let me show you this, Mark, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 17. You don't have to turn. We'll have the words for you on the screen. And we're going to go pretty quick through these. This is the transfiguration. Okay, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We're not going to get in all that. He had to say something. This is the important part. While he's still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. this voice from heaven heard audibly by these guys, right? God speaking into Jesus's life. Before we analyze that too much, I want to take you to one place, one more place. This is the baptism of Jesus. It's recorded in every one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here it is in Mark, okay? Real briefly, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him Like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I think the connection between these two moments, it's pretty obvious, right? It's that voice from heaven. It's not just the audible voice. He says really the same thing. You are my son. You are mine. I love you. I am well pleased with you. You matter, right? Jesus, you have things to say. These people should listen to you, right, if they know what they're doing. You know what amazes me about these passages? I heard these in some men's ministry stuff we've done with guys in high life a long time ago, but they're for all of us. This isn't just for guys. We all need to hear this, right? Is that that the, 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 the times when God speaks audibly from heaven, right, in a way that people can understand and hear, they're very rare. We're like, yeah, no kidding. God doesn't ever do that. In our day. But even in here, right? Even in the Bible, you look at the life of Jesus, and it happens three times. Three times. The other one's in John. People think it was thunder. So they don't even know what God's saying. Okay, so you're looking at the big two. I think the thing that should blow our mind is, is just, okay, if you were God, you're God for a second, and you're going to speak three times. So that people can hear. You are going to tear heaven and earth, right? So that people can finally hear your voice and what you have to say. What would you say? I mean, wouldn't it be something like, hi, I'm God. I'm invisible. You guys have been wondering if I exist, but hey, proof, right? It could be anything, right? He could say anything he wants. But he chooses these moments to speak to who? To speak to his son, to his child. I love you. 
You are mine. I am well pleased with you. These people should listen to you. Twice. And they come at moments before Jesus is going to enter a difficult season of ministry, before he's going to go to Jerusalem and be accused of all kinds of things, hard weeks in Jesus' life. The voice of the Father speaks to him. I love you. You belong to me. You matter. And it's real hard. I mean, like, what does that mean? I think it's a hint. I think it's a hint that these words are pretty important. They're pretty important to us. Look, 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 look at the life of Jesus, right? He is not this leaky bucket. That's the big difference. He doesn't go around everyone meets. Do you like what I have to say? Will you fill me up a little bit? Will you affirm me? Right? That's just not what we see in his life. No, he, he is full of life, right? Theologically, we would say that Jesus overflows with the abundant life of the Trinity, Right? He overflows with the abundant life of the Trinity. Speaking like kind of normal people, we would say Jesus is secure in who he is. Jesus knows who he is. He's full of this loving relationship that he enjoys all the time. And it's out of that overflow that he is able to give himself away. And so the case that I want to make this morning, the thing that I hope gets through to us is that Jesus invites us into that same abundant relationship that he has with the Father and the Spirit. We're invited into it. That's what he offers us. Christians for thousands of years have found that the secret to our inner world, to our identity, right, to growing, to restoring the image of God, it's not in trying to become a better version of you. It's in taking on the identity of Christ and being transformed within that. I want to get theological with you again for just a second, okay? Sometimes it's really, we just got to not shy away from it. We need to know kind of the deep roots of what we have here that God holds out to us. I want to talk about our union with Christ, right? This other idea that we're united with Christ. It's all over the New Testament, but it really stands out in Colossians 3, chapter 3. This is where the Apostle Paul says, For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ with God. Your life is hidden in Christ that's how he understands his own relationship with God. I want you to picture, if you could, like, if you've ever been to an aquarium, one of these giant, like, million-gallon tanks, right? And, and, and you go there, and you, and you look at that through this, through this glass. But what I want you to think about is just that, that we take our leaking bucket, and it's like we, we, we set it adrift in that water that represents this abundance, this overflow. I don't know. Maybe it's not a tank. Maybe it's an ocean, right? Maybe that's more accurate. The idea is that Jesus is not lacking, and we set our bucket to drift in that. And, and when God looks at us, our life is hidden in Christ. He sees us through this lens of Jesus' own identity. Right? He sees us through this lens as we float in the waters of, of Jesus' own identity. And this is why we're able to say things like, I'm holy because God is holy or because Christ is holy. Right? Jesus is righteous. I have his righteousness as opposed to my sin. Right? And so what does this mean? What does it mean to be united with Christ in his identity? It means that those words that God speaks to Jesus, right? I love you. You belong to me. Right? You matter. 
Those are ours. In Christ, those are ours. Every bit as they are, they belong to Jesus. I think the big idea that I want you guys to get this morning is that we can, we can kind of do the, I'm going to earn my identity thing, right? We can try everything to earn our identity. Or we can embrace the identity that's offered to us in Christ. See, in our, in our day and age, it's really attractive. It's really appealing to try and earn it for ourselves, right? To kind of prove ourselves. Look what I can do. Look what I did. Right? And people can admire that, and that's, that's kind of the game we play all the time. But, but God is inviting us to kind of not play the game anymore where we were the leaky buckets in the dry land. He says, no, no, you're not made for that. Right? You're not made to be a leaky bucket in a dry place. You are made to live in an environment, in these waters where you don't thirst. To share in his abundance. That's a really kind of theological lens to look at it through, right? That's all about kind of union with Christ and stuff, and that's important, right? But our theology, what we believe on paper and how we live, right, they go together. They always go together. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. And so, yes, we need to share the gospel with people. We want to tell them about Jesus, right, the living water, and that's where we are called to live. That's, that's our job. That's what we get to do as Christians. But then we get to live this out among one another. And so what I want to do for the rest of the time is, is just kind of speak to us that, that don't feel like experts, right? I'm not like a human development specialist. I'm not a social worker. I don't know how to do it. And I hope that, that some of you here will be profoundly involved in the restoration of people and neighborhoods and policy and nations someday, right? That would be amazing. That's the kind of students we have here on this campus, and I hope that's the case. And I will applaud it. We can get behind programs. We can vote for people that we think are going to make a difference. Right? But at the end of the day, we've got to understand people. We've got to understand how people work. And so I just want to look at these phrases together and what it looks like when we live it out together as, as a church family. Okay, so first one, you're my son, right? In John, when we, when we walk with God, when we place our faith in Christ, it says we're invited to be children of God. And so it's not so much about Jesus being a man, Right? It's about us being God's child, welcomed into his family. Right? We're welcomed into a family that is the body of Christ. And this is so important. People need to know they belong. This is why we emphasize it so much here in Aligning Life. Like It's awesome to come on Sunday, but to be a part of a connect group, part of a home fellowship, that is where we kind of break down the barriers between us and people start to actually experience what it means to belong. It sounds really old school to say like, hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But that's what we are. I mean, that's what we're made to be, right? We're our family. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in that place of like, oh, you don't feel like you belong or people don't feel welcome in your little group yet, like keep at it, right? Keep at it. Everyone feels like a stranger at first, but it grows. Like we grow into it as we live it out with one another, right? And that's good news that this world needs, right? And that's not just the widow and the orphan that need it. It's the lonely, right? It's the people who come from a broken family. God is going to teach us so much through this understanding that in his people we belong. I love you. I love you. It's pretty intimate, right? God doesn't really shy away from that. 
He speaks it into our life. You are loved. I love you. I'm for you. You don't have to earn it. It's not going away. This is spoken to all of us. It's spoken to Jesus before he does anything in ministry. Right? I, I love you. It's not tied to what you do. And as we live that out together, I think the first thing i got to say is, is, you know, if you're a young man here, take it easy. This is an invitation to all the new girls. Love you. We don't want to be that kind of church. But people need to know they're loved. We need to know we're loved. We need to live it out with one another. It's spoken. It's given in those relationships that we care about. Right? So in my family growing up, like, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't say I love you very much. It was, and it's, it's just too intimate, right? And so we didn't communicate in that way very much. I mean, there were times when it was there. But as I've, as I've gotten older, as I've started a family of our own, like, this language of I love, like, identity is given. I see that in God. Right? And so one of the things I do every night before bed with the girls, hey, love you, go to sleep with your mom. Right? Mom's going to put you to bed. Jeremiah, buddy, last thing I say to him, love you, buddy. Love you too, dad. Right? It, and, and it's spoken into his life. It doesn't take much. It's not really that fancy. But I do it because I see it in God. I'm well pleased with you. Right? This last phrase. This is kind of, this is more than just like pride, right? This is just speaking to, into each other that, that you matter, right? There's all kinds of ways that, that I'm well pleased with you. You matter. You have something to offer. comes through to us in our life, right? If, if you need to know I'm, I'm, you're beautiful, you're good, you have something to offer, it's, it's all of that sort of need for affirmation that we have. And if we get it from the right place, it's a good thing. So let me say something. We are all different, right? We're not, we're all different talents, different interests, different passions. And at the end of the day, we're not all good at everything, right? We don't all get to be awesome at everything we try. We're not all going to win the Super Bowl. We don't all look like actors, right? You're not all going to work for Google or whatever, like, the dream job is for you. It may, it may not happen. And I can applaud you if it does, right? We can be happy for each other if it does. But if it doesn't, I believe God still cares. Right? He is interested in your inner world, in your identity. Right? And I think even our best attempts, I think we've got to understand this, like our best attempts at, at sort of reflecting God back to other people or into this world, they're kind of clumsy. Right? When we're talking about restoring people, it doesn't always result in some real linear kind of process, like, oh, just do this and this and this. No, it's just these, these inarticulate sort of attempts at restoring people, at speaking that, those things that we need to hear. Right? One author that I really enjoy calls it, it calls it, uh, I think, inarticulate grunts. Right? The way your best friend makes you feel like, wow, someone in this world is really for me, it's like a grunt. It's like, yeah, God's kind of like that. You know, keep going that way, and you might get there. Just little hints at the real thing. And so I want to share one more story with you guys. This is out of uh, my experience, right? I played hockey for like nine years. Nine years of my, my childhood, I was a goalie. And I was actually a very undersized goalie, okay? It was <laughs> pretty bad. I was going into high school, I was four foot 11, 105 pounds. Put that together. Freshman year, four foot 11. Okay, and I was a goalie. So net, you know, all right, you get the picture. I loved a lot of things about hockey. I still do. But one of the things I absolutely hated was driving home with my dad after every game. 
Right? We used to call it, we used to joke about it now, we used to call it the long ride home. Because what would happen is we would go through every single goal. He would bring it up. All right, goal number two, what happened there? Right? What could you have done different? What should you have done different? To which, in my teenage mind, I interpret it as it's all your fault. Good job. Hated it. Right? Dreaded it. Every single game. And yet there's kind of one game that really stands out to me in my mind is, is a time that, that, for whatever reason, I still remember it, right? I would love to tell you, like, we were awesome as a team and we won all the time, but we didn't, right? We were pretty average, maybe a little less than average. But this one time, it was called Turkey Tournament, okay? It was in November, right around Thanksgiving time. And so all these teams were invited to come play at our home rink, and, and we did really well, right? We had, we had gotten through a couple of rounds, and we were in the championship game of all things, right? The Schomburg Kings, the bad boys, the western suburbs versus the Barrington Express, right? These kids, they were good. I mean, they were, they were so good. They were just better than us, and they are just pelting us with shots the whole game. It was so lopsided. But the score stayed 0-0, which if you're a goalie, that's like thumbs up. Good job, right? That's where you want to keep it. It's a tournament, though. It can't end in a tie. So we play in overtime, 0-0. Again, there's trophies involved. We're not going to tie. Got to go to a shootout. If anyone doesn't know what a shootout is, I'm sorry, you should watch some hockey. Um, but <laughs> it's five skaters from each team, right? And, and it, you take turns. You go one at a time. And the best, most goals out of those five skaters wins, right? That's how you kind of resolve the tie. And so our, the first three people go from each team, and the score stays 0-0. Okay? And, then, and then their fourth guy comes down. I stop that one. And then it's up to our team captain, okay? Our fourth guy is Mario Capassi. I still remember this kid. He's like a foot taller than everyone on the ice, okay? He's 13 years old, full benefits of puberty, like full mustache, the whole thing. <laughs> And he's just bigger and stronger than, like, everyone out there. And so he goes down, and like he always does, he scores, right? And so we're up one nothing, and they're down to their last guy. It's their last chance to tie it up, my last chance to screw it up. Here we go. Guy comes down, and it just kind of like, I don't, I don't, kind of goes fuzzy. I know he took a shot. I didn't feel it hit me. I don't really know what happened. But I turn around, and the ref's like, no go. And I'm like, yes, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> And my teammates are clearing the bench, and my coach is coming off the bench. But what I remember most about that, that day, that moment in my life, was I look over, and my dad is right over the glass on my side, right by, by the net. And all the parents are going nuts. All the parents are celebrating by themselves over here. But my dad's not standing with them. No, he's standing over here. And he looks at me, and he's getting choked up. It's awesome. And he looks at me. And there's, you can't hear, right? But I get the thumbs up. And it's look like, no, you, you are good. Right? I don't care what they're doing. You're mine. You belong to me. And you are good at something. Right? I'm really proud of you. And, guys, I don't have, like, any hockey memories about the actual games. I played for nine years. I couldn't tell you, like, what the score of another game was. But I remember that. Right? I remember that like it happened yesterday. And I think it's because God has hardwired these longings into us, into our identity. Right? We need that voice of affirmation. And look at how it came, right? I remember this years later. It wasn't some like, it's not like Jesus dropped it out of the sky, wrote me a note, said, Won't you know I'm proud of you? Here you go. It's not that clear. It was clumsy. Right? God uses this imperfect person in my dad to speak that into my life without words. Right during seasons when, man, there's days when I need to hear that. 
I think that's how he'll do it more often than not. And so we've got to give God a little credit. We've got to start to look. Okay, so my challenge to you guys this morning as we talk about identity, as we talk about restoring the image of God and people and being a part of that is, look, you don't have to be an expert. Right? You don't have to be a specialist in this. You don't have to work for a church or a nonprofit. You just have to care. You have some answers. You have some sturdy answers that will hold up, right? People need to know they belong. They need to know they're loved. They need to know they matter. And so as Christians, as Christ followers, will we be people that point people to the waters of Jesus Christ? Right? That's where we find that, first and foremost. But then when we be people, will, will we be that clumsy instrument, that imprecise grunt that God uses in other people's lives, wherever we find ourselves, to be that voice that you belong, that you're loved, that you matter. Guys, let's pray.